Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I talked to Robin M. Bolton, and my name is Rohan Vemvorst. Uh, now, normally, we talk to people in our own Hatch studio, but this time I talked to Robin over Zoom because she's in the US and I am in Amsterdam here with Hatch. Uh, hope you will not mind. The quality is a bit less good than, you know, what can be expected of a live meeting but I hope that the content will make up for it. Robin is a very, very experienced leader. And we talked about something that really doesn't depend of experience at all. It depends of how brave you are. We talked about innovation and what I have sometimes defined in some of my talks that I do for Hatch. Um, I'm the scientific advisor for Hatch and I am a futures anthropologist and much of my work is on what do we need in the future to become future-proof leaders, right? And I always define one of the skills as most crucial is unlearning, right? Leaving the things aside that no longer serve us and learn to think in a radically different way and we need to do that now more than ever. It's something that we always needed, but now more than ever, because changes are occurring so fast. But it's super scary. Being innovative in your thinking, being radically different in your thinking is scary because you don't know the new thing. You don't know whether it will work. It demands that you're really courageous because you're dropping that what used to work, but for some reason, it stagnated. And that is what Robin is talking about with me. And I love how she has her own jargon almost. Like she talks about how behaviors that make leaders successful at the same time now start to kill innovation and why some behaviors that seem really cool and good and useful are actually really dangerous. So I really hope you'll like this conversation. I certainly liked it. Um, please get in touch with us on Instagram at joinhatch. We love to hear from you. Um, if you have any questions or ideas for new guests, also do let us know and we will try to make it happen. See you in the future, bye. Robin Bolton is considered an expert in corporate innovation. She has worked as an intrapreneur, and we're going to talk about that at P&G, where she was part of the team that launched Swiffer, you may know that, and Swiffer WetJet. She was a partner at Clayton Christensen's growth consulting firm, and she's also the founder of Mile Zero, an innovation consulting and coaching firm. She's advised companies ranging from global leaders like Nike, Comcast, and Medtronic to mid-sized companies like Curriculum Associates and Hallstar Beauty. Today, I've asked Robin, all the way from Boston, so we're talking over Zoom, to talk about something really specific, a future lesson, so to speak, that she has for all leaders, namely the topic of innovation or actually the things leaders do that kill innovation and what to do instead. So Robin, welcome. Thank you for calling in. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. 
And it's a fun day because I'm in Barcelona, you're in Massachusetts. So let's see how the connection is going to go. Uh, <laughs> it's 7 p.m. at my time. What what time zone are you? It is 1 p.m. at my time. So we're we're six hours difference, but okay. I, I think probably still sunny and warm where we each are. Yeah, and you probably just had your lunch and I'm about to have dinner right after this call. So that's kind of fun. Perfect. Okay, so we're going to talk a lot about the future uh, and future leadership today. And I really can't hear to understand what is a, uh, can't wait to understand what is an entrepreneur later on. But I just want to start with earlier times so that listeners can get to know you a little bit. Um, and I really want to know, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? Uh, what what I wanted to be when I grew up, it um, I think as with all kids, it evolved. So um, most of my childhood, I desperately wanted to be a writer, um, to be a novelist. And then I, I took a hard right turn and spent a lot of uh, my teenage years actually wanting to be a lawyer. And um, I, I think it, I'm probably dating myself, but this is when the legal dramas were very popular in the U.S. And so yeah. Um, it seemed quite fascinating to be a lawyer and arguing in court. And so that's that's really what my dream was. And then I went into business. Wonderful. And and so, I mean, you went into business. You did <laughs> not become a writer. You did not become a lawyer. So what capability or skill or thing did you have to learn most, you think, in order to get where you are now? I think... Interestingly, the skills that I had to learn are actually skills that would have benefited me had I become a writer or become a lawyer, um, as I think about it. So certainly learning how to communicate very clearly mm. and, um, you know, get right to the point and, you know, be both clear, but also very compelling and mm. A lesson I, I've learned as my career has gone on of the importance of speaking, not just to someone's logic, um, to their head, as I say, but also speaking to their heart and what are their motivations and what are that, their values and communicating to both parts of someone. Yeah. And the other big skill I had to learn was, was negotiation and, you know, how to work with people who have different priorities and still kind of make progress and get to the right end point. And so then, I mean, learning that, uh, being really clear or, or concise in language and then learning to negotiate, you eventually became an intrapreneur. So you have to explain me what an intrapreneur is. <laughs> yes, an intrapreneur. Most people think um, that it's simply a misspelling of entrepreneur. Um, it's not. It's an actual word. And it is. it essentially refers to someone who's acting as an entrepreneur or an innovator within the context of a large company. Mm -hmm. So you think about, you know, these innovation teams that we hear about or the accelerators that are housed within a large company, those people, a term for them is an intrapreneur. And so within their companies, they innovate? Is that the way how, how I should see it? Or they are entrepreneurs and so they innovate by thinking, doing, setting up their own companies? They uh, they innovate within their company. So oftentimes, um, you know, they will be launching a new brand, kind of like I did for Swiffer, um, yeah. but it's still, you know, a P&G product. Yeah, so it's, I mean, do you believe then, are these like 
thought leaders or really creative kind of types of people? And and then if so, if if I resume that correctly, are they born or or can you become one? So some of them, yes, are very, very creative. I think what they all have in common though is that they're curious and they're problem solvers. Mm-hmm. And um, some people, you know, well, I'd say we're all born, you know, and as children, we're all very curious. And, and some people, right? And very creative. And some of us hold on to that curiosity and that creativity longer into our lives. Um, and some people kind of fades with childhood, but we all have the capabilities to be curious and to be creative and to solve problems. So I think it's something that we all have as part of us. And, you know, if you're someone who's kind of left all of that in childhood, you can relearn it. So entrepreneurs, corporate innovators, um, I think we're all born with the potential and it can be relearned and it can be strengthened. Um, But really at the core, it's, you know, people who kind of look at things and say, why are we doing it that way? And aren't willing to accept the answer of, because that's how it's always been done. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I was giving a talk yesterday for um, for health managers and we were talking about, like we at Hetch, we offer trainings to strengthen people's innate human capabilities. That's how we call it. And I was giving this example of, you know, when I was a kid, I would always ask, and I seriously think all kids do that. I haven't met any of them who doesn't do it, I would constantly ask questions like, but why, but why, but why, you know, it's something so natural. It's the way we learn. But then at some point I must've unlearned it probably because I had a very kind of annoyed parent above me or an annoyed (laughs) teacher, you know, and, and who blames them. But it's interesting that we really, as small children, we do it all the time. And then later on, we kind of unlearn or many of us unlearn that critical thinking, outside of the box thinking. And then we have to make an effort to get that back. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair, we often learn um, that it's just easier to not ask that question. Our life is, you know, especially as we get into, I'd say, you know, big companies, big organizations, you learn that if you ask why, that often results either in kind of some political blowback or it creates work because someone's like, hey, a good question, go figure it out. Now you have one more thing you have to do. And so we learn that it's just easier. It makes our life easier to just kind of go with the flow and accept the status quo. And I think the the unwillingness to accept the status quo, the drive to make things better and kind of always push towards fulfilling potential it is another thing that corporate innovators, that entrepreneurs have in common. They're just, they're just not okay with, with not, you know, fulfilling the potential that's out there. But that demands also kind of a culture that welcomes critical thinking, or that welcomes, you know, the the idea that sometimes failing or trying or um, take an iterative approach and changing things is okay instead of having this very kind of old-fashioned you know fear (laughs) of innovation or change right because then you come up with your great idea and the boss basically goes like nope that's not the way we do it here so that that demands courage as well 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's also where kind of the negotiating and, and learning to to read the room, so to speak. You know, you could know if your boss is someone who, you know, is old fashioned and just, you know, keep your head down and do what you're told. If your boss is on the other end of the spectrum and just welcomes ideas of all sorts and or if your boss is probably somewhere in the middle, which is where most managers are, which is they're open to ideas, but they're also juggling a lot. And so you have to help them figure out how to throw your idea into the mix and why they should throw your idea into all of the things they juggle. Yeah. So you, you told me at the beginning that you had to learn to negotiate. Did you negotiate a brand like Swiffer into businesses or was that just (laughs) speaking for itself? That um, there are probably hundreds of negotiations along the way with Swiffer um, because, you know, for example, one of the things when we were working on uh, Swiffer WetJet, which is the battery operated kind of wet floor cleaner, you know, we wanted to have three different floor cleaning solutions. We wanted an antibacterial one, a regular one, and one specifically for wood floors. And you know, the antibacterial one required government approval and we weren't going to be able to get it in time. And so that was a negotiation internally to say, yes, yes, boss, I I know that you want to launch with three solutions, but um, we can't launch one of them. Mm -hmm. And so what do we do instead? Because just digging in and saying we're launching three, that's not a viable solution. Mm -hmm. So we've got to figure out what else can we do. And that's where you get creative. And that's where you use skills like empathy and questioning to try to find something that works. And also perhaps intuition, right? Because apparently you were quite stubbornly convinced that this is what you needed to do. Yes, yes. And intuition is such a key part, especially in innovation where you know, you don't have all the data you want. You don't have perfect data. And so you really need to rely on intuition. Uh, But you need to also remember it's intuition. It's not fact. No. Yeah. But I do, I do sometimes have troubles with the fact that it's such a crucial human capability, especially for the future. We'll talk a bit more about the Mm. future. Um, And at the same time, we tend to still call it a soft skill, you know, as opposed to like the hard skills that seem more valuable. But I think I agree with you. It's not a fact. You always have to double check. You always have to listen also to ratio to really see if this apparent great idea that comes from, you know, the belly um, or the intuition, whether it's really a good idea or whether you should toss it the next morning and it was just a step towards a better idea. But at the same time, it is something to, to be taken seriously, right? Oh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, the the days when you could rely on data and data equaled certainty, those are long gone. Hmm. And I think we, uh, a lot of managers kind of still comfort themselves by saying, oh, well, if we get more data, we will be more certain and we will be less likely to make a mistake. And the world is just simply changing too fast. The yeah. data you get today will be obsolete tomorrow. And so you need to use your intuition. You need to use your experience. You need to use all of those quote unquote soft skills and marry them with the hard skills. But the hard skills are, as I often say to my clients, necessary, but not nearly sufficient to get you to success. 
I mean, I, I, I really like this message. I have a futurist background. I'm a futurist anthropologist. And we talk all the time about how the world feels more uncertain. At the same time, we're more connected than ever before. At the same time, you get literally different news feeds from your colleagues. So everybody is informed in a way that, you know, leads to almost a different set of beliefs and convictions. So, I mean, what is your advice there? How can businesses use innovation to navigate such a rapidly changing environment? It's a great question. I, the first thing that comes to mind is um, kind of the headline, and this is for businesses as well as individuals in the business, is that a lot of times, especially as, as we get into the future, you almost have to do the opposite of what your instinct is. And what I mean by that is, mm-hmm. for example, businesses, when they launch new products, and you know, I experienced this when I was at Procter & Gamble, is you do lots and lots of research, you spend lots and lots of money on R&D and developing and design, et cetera, et cetera, perfecting it, within the walls of the company, mm-hmm. and then you do a big launch. And that takes years, that takes millions upon millions of dollars. And if you're wrong about even potentially one little thing, it's all wasted. Yeah. And so businesses need to take a far more iterative approach. Uh, and this is something that I know um, Rita McGrath from Columbia talks a lot about of this kind of discovery-driven planning and at the very start, looking at all the assumptions you're making and test the assumptions, make these little bets, run little experiments, test and learn your way to the big launch, which is the opposite of how most people have been trained and deeply, deeply uncomfortable for folks. I couldn't agree more because it also demands that you are becoming okay with if a tiny experiment doesn't lead to the wanted result, right? We're very much used to kind of sharing successes. Like we'll have the Monday meeting and then everybody goes like, how was the week? What was the success of the week? But I think we have to get used also to a culture in which, you know, tries and tests and experiments, also the failed ones are appreciated because they stand for innovation. Only they can lead to innovation. Exactly. And one of the things that I, I try to get folks to do, and it's it's incredibly hard, and I know that, is to shift their thinking and even shift their language from failure to learning. Yes, exactly. And not looking at something and say, oh, we failed, looking at it and saying, here's what we learned. Yeah. This is what we're going to do instead. Yeah, I really, really like that. But I, I do have one kind of weird question in between, because if we talk about businesses, does every business need to innovate? I mean, it's very popular to say nowadays that we all need to innovate, but I mean, sometimes you see big traditional companies or you will see a very successful company. Shouldn't they just stick to what they're doing or leave the innovation to startups? Uh, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant question. And so what I would say to that is first off, um, innovation, it's, I like to say innovation is not chocolate. You can't just smear it all over everything and accept delicious, expect deliciousness. <laughs> um, and so we apply this term innovation to lots and lots of things. And the fact is there are different types of innovation. Hmm. And what most people think of when you think of innovation are those big, flashy, 
you know, new products, new services, the types of things that make the front page of the paper or of a magazine or, you know, your newsfeed. And, you know, they're disruptive and they're breakthrough. And yes, that is one type of innovation. And it is extraordinarily hard for existing companies to do that because existing companies have grown and become big doing what they do over and over and over with great efficiency. Yeah. Also, they're typically big and hence slow to change, right? Yes. yes. And extraordinarily risk adverse. Yeah. That's where you know, other types of innovation come in, though. It's, you see, you've got the rake, breakthrough, radical, disruptive. You also have adjacent innovations where companies can look at what they're doing and say, okay, what's maybe the next market over? You know, we're serving um, businesses, but could we also serve households? So what's kind of one step away from the core? And could that be a new business for us? And that's adjacent. And existing companies are much more comfortable doing that. It feels radical to them, but, you know, the reality is it's, it's more adjacent. And then the third type of innovation is core innovation. And, you know, it's incremental. You know, some people even would call it continuous improvement. And so I'd say, yes, every company should be doing core innovation because that's just what keeps you competitive. That's what keeps the lights on, keeps the paychecks from bouncing. So you need to be doing core innovation. I think big companies should be looking at adjacent innovation because they're absolutely capable of it. When you get out to that breakthrough or the disruptive, that's when you really do need to, to look very closely at yourself if you're a leader of a big company and ask if it's something you're you're willing and able to do. And a lot of times that answer is no, and that's okay. So you say that a leader should should do that, that a leader should take that responsibility. So why do you believe that innovation is a leadership problem then? It's a leadership problem because first off, it's never an idea problem. I have never seen an organization that lacks for ideas. Mm. Now, those ideas may not know where to go. They may not get traction, but there's just every organization I've ever worked with is full of ideas. And who is launching the ideas then? Because sometimes I nowadays see like a company will have a standalone innovation team. Um, not sure what you think about that. It always seems a bit odd to me because it's only a, a small group of people within the organization and then the others are apparently not okay to launch ideas, but but give me your perspective. Perhaps I'm wrong there. It, it again goes back to what type of innovation are you working on? And, you know, if, if a company, you know, an innovation team can often be quite adept at working on adjacent yeah, innovation. Exactly. You know, I still don't love the idea, especially when people set up innovation teams and they're located, you know, somewhere completely different, it, you know, completely removed from the business. The links always need to be there. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, ideas, ideas should come from anywhere because again, it's about problem solving and mm -hmm. thinking about things differently. But your question around where do the ideas go? Who's launching those ideas? Yeah. That's exactly why innovation is a leadership problem hmm. is because the leaders of the organization you know, they're the ones who control the resources and they're the ones who decide what gets worked on and what doesn't. Yeah. And oftentimes ideas come up and 
they, you know, they need people to work on them. They need funds to get worked on. And especially in innovation, they're not going to pay off next month, next quarter, or even during the year. Mm-hmm. And that is the tension that leaders face because they they get rewarded, they get evaluated on hitting often very short term, uh, you know, metrics, and that's what their pay is based on. So, prioritizing and funding and giving scarce resources to something that may not come to fruition for three or five years, yeah, it just is honestly to to be very compassionate to them. It's an illogical choice. Yeah. And so that's why the new ideas don't ever get out. Mm, so that's why leaders often walk the talk when it comes, don't walk the talk when it comes to innovation, right? It's, it's one of the yeah, buzzwords. Yeah. Uh, they say, yeah, this is really a priority in our business, but, but there's never really, really uh, a priority for it. Yes, that is absolutely at the core of it, of you have to talk the talk. Mm. But then when it comes to walking the walk, there's very little incentive to do so. Mm-hmm. And and often, especially with a public company, potentially, you know, blowback if yeah. you do, if you you miss a reporting number because you're investing in something in the long term, you know, shareholders are not always patient and understanding. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the the reasons why we focus on courageous leadership and helping mm-hmm. leaders to, to be more courageous because you can you can focus you can invest a lot of money into technical skills and do yet another training um but but the fundamentals below that like how am i going to define a strategy and stick to it and you know kind of stand up for what i believe we should go that's that's really scary that's really terrifying for a lot of like you say it's illogical perhaps even and so i i applaud leaders who dare to do it but i also understand why it's a good idea perhaps sometimes to do that and and find some some backbone from the outside so that you can reflect and and say hey this wasn't easy or i'm now talking to the investors and they don't seem as enthusiastic how do i go about it i mean you know otherwise it can be um you being very courageous but then how to stick to that new idea and really go for it for a couple of years until the department has really changed or the company has really launched that innovation that does work Yes. Yeah. And I I love that phrase, courageous leadership, because like Mm -hmm. you said, that is 100% what it takes. And one of the the changes, and this has been been happening for a while, is I think people in organizations, um, employees are hungry to see that courageous leadership. Yeah. They want to be inspired. They want to see the, the leaders, the managers of the organization having that courage to to stand up and advance what they believe in and it because it's in the best interest of the company and the customers and the people they serve you know the challenge is that it's like you said very scary to take yeah. a stand like that yeah. and so finding that strength finding that reason to to take the risk is is so important in order for for managers to become leaders and for companies to grow. I was also thinking when you were talking about the idea that innovation is a leadership problem, I thought that was very insightful. 
Um, one of the insights that I had early in my career, it's, it's not a big thing. It's for, for a lot of people, it will not be news, but I, I always thought it was kind of refreshing is the idea how we brainstorm is typically the other way of how it's supposed to be. So in a lot of companies, you see group brainstorms, which is not really effective. All studies show, um, people don't really launch the best ideas. You will have the most dominant people kind of screaming and then the more introverts um, really shut down. So instead, what a good or leader focused on innovation might want to try is ask people to solely by themselves think of a solution for a specific idea of uh, perhaps a type of innovation that they think is a good idea for the company, send those in, and then the leader, he or she can run through them and then get the group together to have a brainstorm about the best of those. And I think, you know, that's something that for a lot of leaders, it may be something new, maybe something they haven't tried, but then they get the best because then they have the creative minds of all these individuals and they can select, of course. And then after that, the group can make it even better because that's what we also see from studies that if there's been, been a pre- kind of phase where people get the opportunity to think by themselves and to associate this solution with this solution, you know, essentially that's what creativity is to put two old things together and make it into something new. And then you get all those ideas together and then you work from the strength of a group that might really help a leader also to not be alone, but to, you know, shift the resources and give the energy to the best ideas that the individuals come up with. Yes, I could not agree more. And as an introvert myself, I have always hated brainstorming sessions for exactly the reasons yeah. that you described. Yeah, and so that's why every brainstorming that I do, and when I teach other people how to, to lead brainstorming sessions, there is always that component of um, kind of, I call it silent ideation. And whether it happens a few days before, you know, or even the first five minutes within a brainstorming session is carving out that time for people to be quiet with their thoughts. Yeah. And get things out. And then it, the brainstorming session is about, like you said, combining things, building on things, looking at things differently versus a creation process, which is just, you know, I, I have friends who are extroverts and they love it, but I just think it's the most draining thing in the world. Yeah, to, and I mean, as, try the to world, do. as the world is divided in introverts and, and extroverts, you know, if you're really kind of smart leader, you will take both into account and that will lead to the rest or best results, right? Mm -hmm. So, so I mean, we talked about a couple Absolutely. of things that great innovation leaders really have in common, right? We talked about vulnerability, empathy, um, perhaps some very basic insights like the ones we just discussed. What, what else do great innovation leaders have in common in your experience? They, another thing they have in common is incredible patience and confidence. Mm. And I, I say confidence, not arrogance. Yeah. Because um, as we talked about, sometimes it can take years for innovation to come to fruition. And sometimes you try something and it doesn't work and you have to try something new. Great leaders of innovation and of innovation teams are patient with that process. 
they understand that it will take time to get things right. They're not in a rush to get things into the market. So, you know, for them, success is not speed to market. Mm-hmm. Success is getting the right thing to market. And that and, that also entails probably leaving the space for learning experience, right? Hey, we tried this. It didn't really work the way we hoped. So we've now learned this and we're going to try it in, in another way. And the leader will say, that's fine because he's not, he or she's not hushed into getting the result. Is that what you mean? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. Hmm. And to be able to do that also takes confidence and courage, you know, courageous leadership. Because I think one of the most scary things for anyone to admit, but especially um, people in, in positions of authority, is to say, I don't know. Yeah. And That's you have to have taboo, a right? Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, it's, it's kind of like you're, well, you're paid to know. You have this title, you're a VP, you're a, you know, whatever the title is. And that means that you know. And so everyone's looking to you for the answer. And so to say, I don't know, is such an admission of vulnerability and could be perceived as a weakness. Yeah. That you have to have a lot of self-confidence and courage to say, I don't know. And here's how we're going to figure that out. Yeah, that's, I, I mean, my, my last question was going to be, what is your best tip for future-proof leaders or companies? But I think you've just kind of replied on that. So maybe I should change it into, what is your hope for the future when we talk about companies? What would you hope that companies perhaps do for the world? Or I don't know, what is your hope for the future for companies? My biggest hope is that Companies remember that they are in business to serve others. And, you know, that's not for-profit, non-profit. It's none of that. It's that you're there because at one point, you know, in your, your very early years, you solved a problem for someone. And that was a service to them. And that you need to keep solving problems and serving others. And that is what you are in business to do, is service. I like that. Thank you so much, Robin. Thank you. And to all of the listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmachine Yourself podcast. If you found this story as inspiring as I did, then please make sure to share it with your own network and get the ripple effect going because we really, really need more future-proof leaders and organizations. You'd also make us really happy with a nice review in iTunes, simply because that makes this podcast easier to find for people who don't know us yet. Until next time, bye.